Hey, good to see you. Go ahead and get a seat. Head on in. We've had a fun week. I've been, uh, for the past couple of years, involved on the, the board at Green Lake Conference Center where our kids go for their work group. And so, spent two and a half days sitting and listening and listening and sitting and eating little pieces of chocolate to try <laughs> to stay awake and sitting and listening and listening and sitting. Every time I'm there without all of you, it's like so sad. I'm so bummed to not be with everybody. And, and so you when mean the I'm, board doesn't eat worms? No. So when I'm there, I'm kind of like, you know, I think about you. I want to do something nice for you. So I stopped at Crossroads Market on the way out of town. And I was drawn, my eyes were drawn to something. You turned me on to Dots pretzels, which are not something you can buy every day because you're basically handing you your wallet over. But, <laughs> but they're wonderful. And so I'm looking, and they have this wide variety, this wide selection. So, so I, I, I spotted these for you. These are Dots homemade snacks. And, and what does that say the flavor is? Wait, baked cheese curls? Baked cheese curl flavor. That says curl, right? Yeah. So I'm in Wisconsin. My brain saw baked cheese curd. Oh. And I was so excited to bring you home cheese curd dots. <laughs> and then this morning I look and I'm like, that don't say curd. That's that fine. That says curl. These will do. <laughs> what in the world? So now here's the thing you know. Um, we have to do this twice. Twice, yep. So pretend. I like surprise. All right. Don't tell anybody. Then the other thing that I was really excited about until moments ago, I mean, I was really excited. So the other day in our staff meeting, we're talking about how awesome our front row is. We have like the best front row mm -hmm. of kids. They're, mm -hmm. they're amazing. And, and, and they're up here every Sunday. They're paying attention. They're involved. They're engaged. It's, in, it's incredible, you know? And so I thought, I really want to do something special for them today to treat them to say thanks for being on the front row. You brought a water gun? And, and, I, and, and I come walking in the room, and Georgie runs up to me and hugs me. She's so excited to see me. And I'm like, this, this is the way God meant church to be. And then, and then there's extended giggling. And I'm like, extended giggling is never a good sign, nor is this a good sign. So... No soup for you, all right? <laughs> Everybody else is going to be getting a treat today, but sorry. And it's not Georgie that's not going to get it. It's Julia, because you instigated this, didn't you? Yeah. You're the adult leader of this group. Yeah. What are you thinking, girl? Come on. Wow. No, I, we, I'm, I'm kind and forgiving. I cancel no one. Forgiveness is what life <laughs> is all about. So while you're telling us about the Christmas program, I'm going to do some trick-or-treat work. <clears throat> Oh my goodness, how awesome is that? Yeah, we do have an incredible uh, Christmas program coming up on December 12th, as we noted last week. That is doubling as my birthday present from all of the uh, Southfield students. We, we have our auditions um, coming up here, and again, this is something that, that we've been really looking at. You're getting into the second row now? Oh my goodness. He's going to hit every row. I'm going to have to extend this announcement for the entire time. No, um, he really is. He really is going all, every, okay. <laughs> You've heard of Father Christmas, now we know Father, Father Candy here. <laughs> now, our, <laughs> our Christmas program is going to be really, really cool. It's not going to take the entire service like it has in the past, um, but it's definitely something that, it's an easy invite, especially leading into Christmas. If you want to hear 
hear the message of the gospel, make sure that, that you get those invites extended now. Uh, I know it's November 7th, which is just bonkers. Uh, so we have a, a month until this thing takes off, and, and I think that could be a really, really cool lead-in. If you invite on December 12th for that, to, to then bring, bring family around for Christmas time too, so that we here as a Southfield family can, can share in the, the message of the season and, and share in that time together. Very good. Good job. So, time changed. We don't have to talk about time change. It already did. Yeah. It's done. Hope you all enjoyed your extra hour. They might take it away someday, but for now, it's nice to get it. You got this coming up. Yeah, we do. This Wednesday, donuts and dodgeball for our junior hires at Refuge. This is something that's totally built for outreach. Can you explain this? I mean, are you throwing donuts and throwing dodgeballs? Or how I does, mean, or am I... Uh, what, what? I mean, it's, it's donuts and dodgeball. Okay. We're going to be eating donuts. We're not dodging donuts? It, well, I... You're going to have to come on Wednesday to find out. Okay. All right. All right. I will. I'll I've officially there. extended an invitation. You. you can come Thank in, you. I'll bring my sign. I know. We're going to have a lot of different dodgeball games, a lot of different donut eating activities. We're going to have a, a photo booth that is totally donut designed with real donuts that they're going to get to take home at the end of the night. So um, we, I was asked earlier, will there be gluten-free donuts? Yes, we will have two gluten-free donuts. Uh, for, I'm kidding. We'll have gluten-free donuts there because I know <laughs> that is something that directly affects uh, my life, my wife has celiac, so yeah, we're looking out for those kids too, and we'll be making sure about all the different allergies and everything, it's all taken care of. But ultimately, there are going to be a lot of balls flying around the room, there's going to be a lot of donuts flying around the room, and we're going to get a lot, a lot of sugar into us on Wednesday night. So hopefully, as soon as the night is done, they're going to get into the cars and be on that sugar high, and by the time you're home, they're going to crash and go right to sleep for you. So uh, no, it's going to be a lot of fun, but this is... This is specifically built for outreach. Uh, we're not doing a, a, a regular teach that night. Our kids will hear the gospel message. So if there's a, a kid who walks through our doors for one, one night, and that's the only time they ever come, they will at least have heard the gospel before they walk out of our doors. Uh, but it's, it's totally built on, around fun. We've given all of our kids invites and asked, you know, hey, think about who's the one kid in your class, in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a cousin that you want to, to come to Refuge to, to hang out, to have fun, to see what this is all about. Um, so push your, push your junior hires to step outside their comfort zone, invite someone new, someone that hasn't been here or hasn't been here in a long time, and, and get them to, to come in because this is going to be incredible. If you are in the giving spirit and you want to drop off extra donuts, we will always accept extra donuts. This, uh, this Wednesday afternoon, uh, I'll be here at about... Um, three o'clock. So anytime between three and six, if you if you have uh, some donuts lying around, or if you want to go get some and bring some, we will accept any and all donuts uh, that that you have. So Very good. thank you. Good deal. Yeah. So I'm going to move to the next announcement. Mm -hmm. And while I do, um, I, I'm fully aware that when you give something to the first row and even some of the second row, there are children sitting in like the 80th row that are never going to come back to church again. That's all they've been able to, like, you know, I can see Henry over there. He's bitter. So he really, <laughs> he really ticked eight. off about this. So here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> while, I, while I'm doing this, would you go ahead, anybody that didn't get candy, Mark Thilo, sit down. But anybody, any kids that didn't get candy that want some, come get some from Brian. You got it. Go ahead while I, while I do the next one. 
Uh, no, seriously, you can. Nobody's watching him. So um, anyway, I, I, I talked about this last week. So we use the Dwell app. It's a scripture reading app that actually plays the scripture. You listen to it. You can listen to it in a variety of voices, in a variety of, um, of uh, versions, and you can, easy, you can even tune music into the background of it. It's a beautiful app. They are putting out for, um, for Advent, uh, an Advent reading. It'll have some Old Testament, some new, and uh, some pieces that talk about Jesus. So one of the things they've advertised recently is that along with that reading, they put together a devotional booklet. So you can go on Amazon and get that. Mine, mine actually just arrived, so it's a nice brief booklet. It gives you some, uh, a great reading and some area to reflect. Uh, you can also get it on Kindle, I think, or you can go to their site and get it on a PDF. But just want to get you a little bit ahead, thinking about, you know, the end of the month will be coming up, and uh, you want to make sure that thing gets shipped in, on time, so, so go ahead and do that. The other thing, um, we love using... Oh, you need to be up here. No, you're not done. Um, <clears throat> we love using uh, the, the Bible app. Version put this together and, and has done a great job. And one of the features they have in that is something they call events, which is basically we put together an event every Sunday. So it lists all the scripture readings or many of the scripture readings we'll be using. Uh, there are weeks that we even put like notes in there yeah. to follow, things like that. So uh, if you have the app, you can go down to the bottom corner, go to events, find Southfield and get into that or even give you the, the address right now. If you want to just type in the address directly, you can get there right away, and, and you're able to follow along on your device, which is, which is pretty cool. It even, it even allows you the ability to uh, add your own notes as you're going along. That's so. something that I regularly do, is add my own notes alongside. So as we're going through the sermon, taking my own notes with that passage, I, th I think that's a really, really yeah. cool feature. So just pushing that a little bit, hopefully yet another tool, another way to get, your, to get your mind and heart into the Word of God. Uh, we, we have broken into our Christmas series, which I'll talk a little bit about what that's all about. But today, uh, I, I'd like you to read Deuteronomy chapter 34. Here's kind of the bummer. I didn't tell you ahead of time you're going to be reading Deuteronomy chapter 34. No, you didn't. So it's got words in it that, you know, you're going to be going, huh, just we're gonna, we're say, gonna do our best. say, what, say whatever we're best. comes words up are hard. In, in terms of pronunciation, yeah, but... Uh, this, I think, this is, for me, one of, one of the more beautiful passages of Scripture, where you have this, this man, Moses, who has lived 120 years, he's been faithful to God, he's led God's people faithfully, and we, and we come to the end of his life. And, uh, and so, uh, 12 verses, go ahead, and, go ahead and read, whoop, go ahead and read for us. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pishkah, Across, across from Jericho, there the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as Mediterranean Sea and the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants." I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. 
Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not yet weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Thanks, Mary. Take these with you. If you want to break into them, you can. Nobody will know. All right? So I'm like a lot of you. I'm pretty strict when it comes to this whole Christmas thing. Um, I don't listen to Christmas music prior to Thanksgiving. I don't put up lights. I, I don't even go into the Christmas aisles wherever they're open right now. I don't do it. I, I really, really like to keep Christmas where it belongs. I want it to be special. I want to, I want to enjoy Thanksgiving fully. I think that's a big piece of it for me. I want, that, I want that chance to be able to enjoy that day of giving thanks to God, having thankful with my family and friends, and then, boom, the lights go on the porch and we head into it. So if that's my approach to life, why in the world would I start a Christmas series two weeks before Halloween? Why do that? And I said over the last couple of weeks, a big part of the reason is because Advent is so short and it's so cram-packed with activity that a lot of times we go racing through the season and I think we, we miss out on the spirit of what this season is all about. We, we get a chance to enjoy the fact that the God of the universe decided to be with us. He, he decided to come in human form and be with us. And we get to enjoy his presence and so I want to make sure that really almost pre-Advent, that by the time Advent comes, we're ready for Advent. We're ready to engage this, this miracle of the birth of Jesus. And so we've been talking about this name that was given to Jesus by the prophet Isaiah, who says, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. I, I don't know about you, but when I think of those words, when I think of that name, there are a few years that that name is more meaningful than this one, and maybe the last one. As we've gone through a season of not being with, not being with people we love, not, not being together in the same space, not even always seeing another person's face. You know who they are, and all you see is this much. There's been a, there's been a separation, a, a division among us. And then I get talking to people who, who literally, I'm talking to friends this week at Green Lake, they're going to family, they're planning family reunions only to find out, oh, we're not going to do it after all because the vaxxed and the unvaxxed are fighting, the masked and the unmasked are fighting, and it's going, there's the division, there's this, there's this sense of a break breaking apart. And in this season, we need to focus on with. We need to focus on together. We need to focus on the fact that, that God came to be with us. And he came to be with us because we're born not with God. Many will say we're all children of God, but the fact is we become a child of God when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. John tells us, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. We're born in separation and alienation from God. 
We're born apart from God because of sin. Sin separates us from God. And yet the God of the universe, as early as Genesis 3 says, that separation is there because of sin, but I want to make a way that we can be with each other once again. I want us to be united once again. I want that togetherness to be there again. And so in our, in our, in our season of alienation, in our season of separation, and sometimes even after we have come into a relationship with God, we start having a view of our relationship with God that does not look like a withness with God. It doesn't look like we truly embrace God as Emmanuel, but we take him in different forms. We've referred to these as distortions, ways that we see God that God did not intend, ways that see God, we see God that come from our own creation. They're our own image of God. And it comes from a variety of sources, from, from religion that gets it wrong to relationship with family that's broken, and we, we transfer that brokenness to our relationship with God, to worldview and lack of logic, and even the fall itself, which causes a separation because of sin. And so last week we looked at the first, the first distortion of the relationship with God. And that distortion comes out of a spirit of narcissism, a spirit that believes that I am the center of the universe. Everything revolves around me. We've referred to that as the for me God. Not for me as in he's cheering me on, he, he's, he's there for me, but he's there for me. I'm there to receive the blessings. If I just pray a prayer, I'll get a blessing. We treat God like a cosmic vending machine. Put in the penny, thanks for the gumball. There we are getting what we should receive. We have this perspective of God that he's there to supply my needs, to supply what I want, and that's about the extent of relationship. It's a for me God. Today I want to move to the opposite side. Pessimism. Pessimism about life Pessimism about our own existence takes us in the opposite direction, to an against-me God, to being a person who believes that God exists to just torment me. God exists to make my life miserable. Seems like everybody else is doing well in their relationship with God. But I, I just, it seems like he's my cosmic enemy, like it's never working out right for me. So, if this was the image of God for me, kids trick-or-treating at the door. I don't know how much you can, candy you handed out last week. I had a lot of candy. And it was fun just going ahead and, and gifting that to those kids. And those kids, trick-or-treat, you know, and, and getting what they wanted. It's amazing. We have this view of God, trick-or-treat, give me what I want. The opposite view is this God. The God who sits in heaven with lightning bolts looking for where you're driving. Boom, gotcha. Or maybe this God the God who paints a target on your back and the missiles come flying just at you all the time. We get a pessimistic view of God in which we actually believe that while he may be with other people, he's not with me. And even the times he's with me, he's more with other people than with me. I never feel like I'm quite totally with God, but I feel like God is my enemy. He's opposing me. Pessimism is described as a, a tendency to see the worst aspect of things or believe that the worst will happen, a lack of hope or confidence in the future. 
And some of us bring that into our, our, our spirit of relationship with God. God is constantly opposing me. So we looked at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and today I want to look at Genesis 4. In Genesis 4, we have, we have the family of Adam and Eve beginning to form. You know the story. You know the story that while they disobeyed one command to eat of the fruit, they obeyed other commands. They obeyed the camp command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so here they are, they're starting to have children. And this child comes along and they name him Cain. And Eve names him Cain because she says, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. It says later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. Now, let me just stop here for a moment because as you're, as you're looking at the beginning of the world, the Bible tells us we're all children of Adam. Some will look at that and say that can't possibly be true. Can't possibly be work that way. Especially if you start figuring this out that you have one boy, you have another boy, one of the boys are going to be sent away, one of the boys is going to be murdered. How in the world does the family of God come about? We don't know that there aren't more children by this point. The Bible doesn't speak to that. We've got to be careful not to speak to arguments in silence. What we know is there's a point that a boy is born and his name is Cain. And there's another boy that is born and his name is Abel. And they, in turn, begin to obey the command of God. What was the command? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Take charge of the earth. And so they move into their initial professions. You have, you have Cain who grows up, and the guy loves the dirt. I love the dirt. I love working the dirt. He's a gardener. He's a farmer. He's growing crops, and he's just he's seeing how all of this works. And, and then you have Abel. Abel turns towards shepherding. He finds sheep, and, and he just he takes care of these sheep. He grows his flock. It's amazing. The two of them are, are doing their work of farming. They're doing their work of, of subduing the earth. They're obeying the command of God. Comes harvest time. And we read that Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And Abel also brought gifts, the best portion of the firstborn lambs of his flock. Now again, we have this piece. We've only had Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And when you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, there has been no description of a sacrificial system. There's been no description of what you bring to God in order to please him. Clearly, there's some conversation with God that involves, this is how you show me gratitude. This is how you worship me. This is, this is how this is to happen. There's been some instruction along the way that says, this is what I expect if we're going to have a relationship. So Cain, Cain does what Cain does. He finds, he finds his best tomatoes, his best eggplants, his best zucchini. He, he brings all of that, and he brings it as a beautiful, beautiful sacrifice to God. And here you have Abel, and he finds his firstborn sheep, and he brings it to the Lord as well. It says, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. So the one guy gets acceptance, the other guy gets rejection. They both brought offerings. They were both well-meaning. They both wanted to please God. Why in the world would God say to one, I like your offering, I don't like your offering? Cain's struggling with this. He's struggling with this. But I think Cain is already doing what many of us do. They receive the instruction of the way an offering is supposed to work. And what does Cain do? 
I have a better way. I know what I, know what I want to do for God. I know, I know the approach I want to take with God. He may have said this is what he wants, but I know better. He goes about a self-styled worship. He goes about a style of worship that says, God, you'll like this better, I promise you. Have you gone through this, right? Somebody gives you a gift and you're like, I'm, I'm sure you would have liked that. I don't want that, but, but I'm sure you would have liked that. Would you like it back? Because God, God wasn't asking for a fruit salad. God was asking for a lamb. He was asking for a lamb. What we read here is this made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. You can see him, this grown man doing the pout. He's having a snit. He's so mad. Why? This isn't fair. I mean, I don't, I don't tend sheep. Well, he could have just given us a trade. Here's some vegetables. I need a lamb in order to do my sacrifice. But he's not going to do it God's way. He's going to do it his way. How often do we get ourselves in trouble when we decide we're going to do it our way and not God's way? How often do we find ourselves in a state of anger because it seems like God is not accepting the thing we want him to accept? This is the way I want it, God. These are my demands, God. If we're going to have a relationship, these are my demands. Now, I mentioned this before. I bring it up again because I think it's such a beautiful technique. As a parent, as a person who works with people, God does not go immediately and start thumping on Cain's chest. He doesn't start telling him he's got a bad attitude. Get rid of the pouty face. Why are you tickle? What's your problem? Come on. He asks him questions. He asks him questions because I think the questions give Cain an opportunity to explore his own soul. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked him. Why do you look so dejected? You know, you can hear him saying, you knew the rules. You knew what was going to make me happy. Why are you upset? And then he goes on and gives some instruction. You will be accepted if you do what is right. So clearly, there had been an expression of this is a righteous offering. This is not. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. It is eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So often, we, when we are in that brewing, stewing anger, in this point of spiritual insanity, we brew up the worst plans and the worst ideas. We're, we're not willing to humbly submit to God. We're not willing to humbly say, God, I'm sorry, I was wrong. No, instead, there's this brewing anger that causes us to start to plot and plan and think out exactly what we want to do instead of following what God wants. We know that there comes a day that Cain suggests, let's go for a walk. Let's head to the field. And while he's out there, he clubs his brother, kills him, and buries him in the sand. Verse 9, afterward, the Lord asked Cain, again the question, where's your brother? Where is Abel? Where'd he go? Don't you love Cain's answer? He's talking to the God of the universe. He knows his parents have already been here. The omniscient God knows everything. What does he do? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He deflects. Isn't that what we do when we're in trouble with God? We deflect. And when we're in trouble with another person, we deflect. We don't just own it. We don't just say, this is what I've done. We push it off. Uh, you know, in a sense, he puts it, God, he's your kid. Why don't you take care of him? You figure it out. 
not my responsibility. He's a grown man. You take care of him. You figure it out. God gets right to the point. What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. And then he says, you are now cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. I want you to think about this. Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, and now Cain is being banished from outside of the garden. The banishing just continues. The rejection, the pushing away just continues. We have three people on earth already living under a personal curse because of their sin, and we have another guy dead in a grave. Cain replies, my punishment is too great for me. You've banished me from the land. You've banished me from your presence. You made me a homeless one. Do you hear a lot of, you, you did this, you did this. You're, you're against me. You're against me. You did this. It's too great. You banished me. You sent me out of your presence. You've made me a homeless wanderer. And by the way, when people find out what I did, they're going to kill me. And, And here we have another one of these moments of mercy where God says, I won't let it happen. I'll put a mark on you, and if anybody touches you, they'll be punished far more. Sad verse, verse 16. So the Lord... So Cain left the Lord's presence. Again, separation, alienation, banishment, distance, settles in the land of Nod, east of Eden. You hear that Cain story, and it, and it, and it, and it just it rubs up against our story so many times. When we've decided in an act of self-styled worship, worship is living, worship is living for God, when we've decided in an act of self-styled worship, We're going to do what we think is right, and God better accept it. God better like it. If he wants a relationship with me, this is the way it's going to work. And then when we get that sense of alienation, that sense of of banishment, that sense of, of even punishment, we go, why are you doing this to me, God? Why are you doing this to me? Why is God doing this to me? You see, when we look at the against me God, the first thing that people often think is, God's out to punish me. I've done something wrong and God's out to punish me. He just, he, he wants to spank me. He wants to give me the, the monster timeout. He wants to send me to my room. He wants to make sure I can't use my cell phone for a month. He wants to ground me. He wants to punish me. He's punishing me. And and what we don't understand, we understand it when we're parents, right? But we sure don't understand it when we're 15. Punishment is an act of love. It is not an act of torture. I punish you because I care for you, not because I hate you. I punish you because I want you to wake up. I want you to see the seriousness of your action, and I want you to come home. God, when he punishes us, isn't sitting up there going, that bad kid, what can I do to him today? Boom! How can I hurt her today? Boom! It's not it. This loving God is calling, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. Come home, repent of your sin. Hebrews chapter 12 says, 
Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. When the discipline of God comes upon us, that's a weird way to say it, it's, it's proof of our salvation. It's a way of realizing that we are actually in relationship with God and God is waking us up to the fact that we've wandered from him, that we've sinned and we need to come home. He wants to be with us. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So he says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? I'll tell you who's not disciplined by their father. A child who's not loved by their father. If you don't discipline your children... You're not showing them that you love them. You're not giving them the boundaries they need to live a life that pleases God. If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it, or we should have. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as though as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. There's a purpose behind it, to come back to God, to share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. He says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths, Stop sitting. Let's, let's get on the right path so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. When God disciplines us, it's his way of saying, I love you. Please come home. I want us to experience withness. Please come home. But this relationship, God says, is not happening on your terms. It's happening on my terms. I set the terms of the relationship. I expect obedience. Sometimes we think God is against us, that he's out to punish us. Other times it's not punishment. We just think he's out to hurt us. We, there's pain in our life. There's pain. That, that isn't the result of sin. There's just pain. Life just hurts. Life's, life's hard. What's going on there? What's this all about? And I, I, just, I have to take you again to the most familiar passages in James. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Uh, do you live that way? Trial comes along. Oh, here we go. This is good. This is rich. This is precious. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You grow through the test. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. At this board meeting this week, Ben Mott, president of the conference center, who was also part of our church for many years, um, was talking about some of the progress they've experienced as a conference center. And, and one of my observations has been, a, it's been a thing I've talked to them about for 20 years, is that some of the people at the conference center can be a little crabby. They've got that approach that, you know, this place would be a lot better without people. And they'll let you know it. And when we bring 100 students, sometimes our students have been told. Sometimes our students have received the message. And he issued a point of progress that this was the first year that none of our kids got balled out by a staff member unjustly. And we're like, that's cool, because we've had some Lulus. 
I'm standing in line one day next to a kid. He got a junior hire, and he's staring at a bat of vacant. What do you do to a bat of vacant? Do you take three? No way! You grab the tongs, and you start loading up the plate. Mom, bacon! Right? And he's doing this, and this woman, what are you doing? Stop it! <sighs> and I just, I'm like, I'm sorry, excuse me? It's bacon. Get a life. What's your problem, lady? So, I'm in this meeting, and one of, one of the newer staff members is there. She's a sweet woman. And she just, in the meeting, she says, Dennis, I'm so sorry that there have been staff members that have treated your kids poorly. And I said, Carrie, you don't, you don't get it. I love that it's happened. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. Because our kids grow through hard times. We don't bubble wrap our kids. We don't, we don't protect our kids from every adversity until they're 18 and then send them to college and see how it all works out. They need to know there are mean people in the world. And what do you do with mean people in the world? You don't cancel them, you forgive them. You learn through adversity. You learn through hard times. God does the same with us. The pain is not there because he's against you. The pain is there because he's for you. Because he's with you. Because he cares about you. Because he wants you to grow. Here's the third one. God doesn't even notice me. Doesn't even notice me. Doesn't even know I'm there. Have you ever felt sometimes like someone's against you because they're, they're, they love everybody else in the room except you? I had certain teachers growing up that I could just kind of tell. I was not on the favorite list. I wasn't on the list at all teacher had this person they liked, this person they liked, this person they liked, and I was not. I was not on the favorite list. And when you're not on the favorite list, it can feel a little bit like they're against you, like they hate you, like they don't like you. And we get the idea sometimes that God is against us because we're not on his favorite list. You know, there, there's a movie a few years back, you recognize the dude, Mel Gibson, Braveheart. I'm going to wear that to church someday just for fun. <sighs> war paint, fighting the British with the Scotland, fighting for freedom, amazing story, it's incredible, fighting, having a, there's this one scene in the movie where they're, they're charging the British army, we're going for this thing, can you see Mel up there, I know, not the greatest picture, this is like, it's, it's old, it's not digital, it's grainy, it's yuck, can you see Mel though, give me a shake or a no. All right, well, in case you can't see Mel, let me, let me just, let me box him out there so that you can really see Mel. There he is, okay? How many people in a movie, when they go, when they go for an audition, everybody wants the lead, right? Everyone, you, you don't find many people that go, I really hope I'm a nameless extra. Or the plucky comic relief that always dies. You see, when we look at that picture, and we, if we were in this movie... We'd say, you want to see me? You want to see me? That's me right there. Okay, well, you can see my hair. That's me right there. Or, or, or we'd say, that's me right there. <laughs> but we're not the main star. I wanted to be Mel. I wanted to be Braveheart. I didn't, I didn't want to be the guy laying dead in the field. I mean, the guy that you can only see his hair. I didn't, I didn't want to be an extra in God's drama. I wanted to be 
a main character. And you know what's funny about American Christianity? We have spread the myth that everybody's the main character. It's not true. It's just not true. We all play a part, and you play the only part you can play. The only part you can play. And way too many of us spend so much of our life trying to be someone else. I always laugh at early preachers because early on, they have a couple favorite preachers and they try to be them. When I was going, it was, All right, do you want to be John MacArthur or do you want to be Chuck Swindoll? So either you had a great intro and a lot of humor or lots and lots and lots of illustrations and you know, 50 minutes later, people were resting. But you tried to be someone else instead of being you. This story of Moses, what I find with so many Christians, they want to be Moses. They want to be the one that led the people through the wilderness. They want to be, they want to be the noticed leader. They want to be the one. It, it, they, I want to hold the staff. I want to part the water, Moses. I want to be that guy. I love this part of the story. It's beautiful. I've had someone explain it in the past. I've always read this story with such you know, sadness. He's taken to the mountain, top of the mountain, and God says, here's the land you're not allowed to enter. You know, ouch. But someone said, and I really believe this, I think that by the time he got to this point in his life, God took him to the top of the mountain and said, here's the land. And Moses said, it's a great land. But I want you more than I want to put my foot on that land. I love being with you. I just love being with you. He dies, God buries him. We don't even know where his grave is. God did the funeral. That's pretty cool when God does your funeral. That's a prominent speaker. Ministry's handed on to Joshua, and then we read the words that Brian read earlier. Since then, no prophet is risen in all Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. For no one has ever shown the mighty power performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of God. There's never been anyone like Moses. So why do we try to keep being someone else? And when we're not them, why do we keep thinking that God is against us because we're not who we want to be? Instead of being absolutely comfortable in our own skin and knowing that when Psalm 139 is spoken, it says, you have created me as a marvelously complex being. You created me in my mother's womb. You knew every day for me. Why can we not embrace the days God created us instead of saying, I want to be someone else? God is not against you. God is totally with you. He's totally with you. The question is, will you be with him as you instead of trying to be Mel Gibson? Instead of trying to be someone else? He's not out to punish us. He's not out to hurt us. He does notice us. He's with us. We just have the wrong perspective. We have a perspective of pessimism. One that sees God is against me instead of Emmanuel who is with us. So let me give some probing questions again. These are on the app. If you want to look at them there, you can write them down and think about them later. But um, the first question I'd ask is, what prompts your against me God reactions? What are the things that happen that, that prompt that? Because the three I've put on the board, to be perfectly honest, there are probably another hundred that we could put up there in terms of why you feel like God's against you. But what prompts it? 
Get to the root. What's, what's prompting that? What, what prompts those moments that you feel like God's out to get you? And then I would ask you to reframe it a little bit. Is God really against me or am I wrestling with God? Am I wrestling against God? Is it possible that I'm actually the one that's against God and I'm blaming him for it? But I'm the one. I'm the one that's the against. He's saying, I want to be with you. And you're saying, but, 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 but. How might this situation call out God's withness like punishment? Is it actually possible that, that as God punishes me, he's calling me to withness? He's calling me to be with him. He's not pushing me further away. He's calling me to come home. I'd question, have you talked about it with anybody? Not just anybody. Don't talk to Lady at Jewel. But I mean, you know, unless you know her. But I mean, a, a, a spiritual friend, someone who's walked the walk a while. Have you talked to them and said, this is the way I feel. This is what's going on. And help them to process it with you. And then the final question I'd ask you is just, what would with me look like to you? What, what is this that you imagine with to look like? Because the thing sometimes, the thing we imagine with to look like isn't with at all. Or maybe God's really with us and we did not even notice it, just like Jacob. I do love that all of these passages have this beautiful, shimmering, redemptive moment. Genesis 4, Seth comes along. Eve says, God granted me another son in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. It says, Seth grew up, grew up. He had a son, named him Enosh, not Enoch, Enosh. And then we have the words, at that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. There's witness going on among the people of the earth. He's always giving us that thread of hope. There's always a glimmer of hope. Oh God, today, I pray that we would see that you are not against us. You might punish us because you're with us. You might let us experience pain because you're with us. You might even let us be an extra in your drama because that's exactly who you want us to be. Nameless and unnoticed, but a fully devoted Christ follower who is completely with the Lord God. Move us toward withness in Jesus' name. Amen. So each week I've been giving you a prayer or a verse that stresses the idea of God with us for communion. And today we give you Revelation 3.20. Think about these words. Here I am. I stand at your heart's door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears the voice and opens the door, I'm going to come in and I'm going to eat with that person. I'm going to eat with that person. And they with me. This verse has for so many years been used as, a, as an evangelism passage. Person's lost and God's knocking at their door. It's at the end of two chapters that talk about the relationship that God has with his church. He's knocking on the closed door of the heart of the believer and saying, when are you going to be with me? When, am, when are you going to be with me? When are you going to let me in so that we can be together? When are you going to stop the social distancing from God and finally be with him and let him be with you? Think about those words. 
as you head to communion, two tables at the front, two at the back, gluten-free on the sides of the stage as well as at the back table. Let's enjoy being with Jesus. This is my friend Georgie. Now, here's what's, I, you know, okay, I'm sitting singing the song, kind of thinking about how the service is going to end, all that sort of stuff. And I realize I've got a kick me sign on my back, still. And then I thought, of all the days for you to put a kick me sign on me, a day that we talk about God being against us, this is the way most of us live. We live like there's a kick me sign us on us all the time, and we're, in, you know, we're waiting for God to kick us around. The irony is, the only way this can come off is if you take it off. Go ahead, and you can put it on for the second service. <laughs> but when it comes to the kick me sign that we put on ourselves, we put it there. I couldn't put that there. You put that there, right? And you had to take it off. I put that sign on me. There's a part of which you've got to take it off. But there's a loving God that wants to remove it with you. So take the stupid sign off. He's with you, and he loves you, and you get extra treats. Have a great day.